If you would find Romans chapter 15 in your Bibles, we'll be in Romans chapter 15, verses 30 through 33 this morning. And as you're finding it, I want you to know that at 5.30 a.m., Monday morning, last Monday of this, this week we're just coming off of, uh, I sat down very sleepily with my cup of coffee and my Bible, and I began to prayerfully meditate on these three verses um, the passage I preach tends to also be my devotional content through the week. Don't be too impressed with that 5.30 a.m. wake-up call. That is more than rare. Um, almost never happens. But I sat down and I began to read this passage and, and pray through it and try to start absorbing it and responding to it. And it just unleashed something in me. And I have like a dozen pages of my journal full of thoughts that I feel that the Holy Spirit was bringing to mind as I study this passage. Almost none of those are made it all the way into this sermon. Uh, most of that, I think, was for, for me and my own benefit. Um, but I do believe that God has something to say to us this morning from these three verses. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would use it in your heart similarly as he did in my heart Monday morning. Um, I want to get you up to speed with what we're talking about before I read these three verses. Uh, Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in the city of Rome. He wrote this letter to these Christians, hoping to unite them, even though there were a lot of very different sorts of people in that church. His main tool to unite them was the gospel, the good news that even though we're all desperately sinful, God has made a way for us to be saved through Jesus Christ. And... All 16 chapters is just a really detailed examination of the gospel. So one of my prayers as we've been studying this book is that it would also unite us as we examine the gospel. So he's at the end of the, of the letter now. He's winding down the letter. He's telling them that he's proud of them. He loves them. He's happy about them and that he's ready now to move forward to bring the gospel to new places in Spain. Before he does that, he's going to take a dangerous trip to Jerusalem. We talked about that last week. He has a financial gift for some suffering saints in Jerusalem. It's dangerous because the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem hates Paul and wants him silenced, as in killed. So he's risking imprisonment and maybe death by going to Jerusalem. So that's the atmosphere that we're in as we get to Romans 15, beginning at verse 30. So, uh, I'm going to read this. I'd ask you to follow along with me. Let me see if this is going to work today. It does. I told Tom I'd, fly, I'd signal him if it wasn't working, but it is working. So, we will read from Romans 15, beginning at verse 30. And you can remain seated uh, as we read this morning. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. We'll circle back to these first verses. What we have here this morning is an appeal. We, we're reading Paul making an appeal to the Roman Christians, but all of God's word is God-breathed and it's profitable for us. 
So we can read this as an appeal from God to us. This word appeal is a strong word. These aren't pleasantries at the close of his letter. This is like Paul sitting down beside you in your pew and turning to you and looking you in the eyes and saying, I need your help. I'm appealing. I'm calling you. The word literally is it's two roots, one meaning to get up close beside and the other meaning to call. So it's like him getting up close beside us and calling us, urging, summoning, crying out to us, appealing to us. So I want you to feel the pressure that we'll need to respond to this. It's always dangerous to come and listen to a sermon because once you've heard it, you can't unhear it and you're going to respond to it in one way or another. You're either going to respond by ignoring it or you're going to respond by obeying it. So we're all, we're in it now. Okay, I didn't trick you to come in here. You should have known what you're getting into. So we're going to need to respond to this appeal. Um, Before we look at the appeal, let's look at the basis for the appeal. He says, I appeal to you brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. So he's not coming to you and saying, Look, it's me, Paul. You know what an awesome Christian I am. You should really listen to this appeal. Or you know what a relationship we have. Do this for me. We're friends. And he's not just using his authority and he's not just trying to pressure us. And I'm not coming to you today as your pastor saying, come on, it's me. Help me out. Please respond to this appeal. Do it for me. Forget about me and forget about Paul. And remember that we are followers of the same Lord. Those of us in here who call ourselves Christians, we are all followers of the same Lord. We are all recipients of the same spiritual, with a capital S, love from the Holy Spirit. We're in this together. So he's appealing to us as brothers. I'm appealing to you as my brothers and my sisters in Christ. God is appealing to us as his children, his people this morning. So let's see, what is the appeal? I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. To strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. He's asking us to strive Strive means to try really hard, to put it very simply. It's, again, not to get all nerdy on you, but in the original language, it's, again, two root words, one meaning to get up close to and the other meaning to agonize. So he's saying, I am an agonizing, striving work and effort here, and I need you to come and get beside me and help me carry this load. I need you to come agonize alongside me, strive with me, it's the, the, any of you, you don't have to raise your hands because I don't want to embarrass those who are not doing this, but I wonder if any of you are trying to exercise these days. Matt's raising his hand anyway. I specifically said not to raise your hand, Matt. I wonder if any of you are trying to exercise these days. I am trying to exercise these days. It's hard even to find the time, but even if you can find the time, whatever you're trying to do is just really difficult to make these, these 
flabby old bodies try to go out and do something it just does not want to do. So for what I'm trying to do, it's just me. When I get these glimpses of time, it's just me like, like painfully running around this circle. You know, Dawn sees me sometimes when she's lapping me. I try to let her go first so she can get all the worms hanging out of the trees, and then I'll go. Now, I wonder if you've ever exercised in a group. Some of you may go to the YMCA or something. They have these group classes. It's a whole different experience trying to agonize and strive and sweat by yourself versus doing it as a team with other people. Paul is out there on his own in a very real way, but in another way he's not because he has his brothers and sisters in all these churches striving with them, with him. So the appeal is strive. It's an invitation to sweat-drenched Christianity. Okay, that's the appeal that we're going to have to respond to. Okay? I hope you're listening. Because you will, I mean, to get extremely serious, extremely fast, we will be held accountable for our response to God's word. We will be held accountable to our response to this appeal. So how are we to strive and agonize alongside Paul? Does he want us to come with him on the journey? Does he want these people to, to sell all their possessions? Does he want them to do anything? He wants them to pray. That's the appeal. Strive, agonize together with me in your prayers. One strives when they're in pursuit of some great accomplishment. One strives when they're uh, fleeing some kind of great danger. You don't strive unless there's some greatness involved. It takes no striving to sit down on your recliner with a bag of Cheetos and watch TV. That's not striving, and there's nothing great about it. You strive when you're in pursuit of something great or fleeing some great danger or contending with some great fight or challenge or obstacle. And what's the arena of our striving? Prayer. Prayer is the arena of our striving as Christians. True Christian striving takes place first in prayer. And just notice the juxtaposition of this. You've got this strenuous word, strive. And you're thinking, okay, Paul, I'm, I'm in it with you. I'll do this. What should I do? Who should I go evangelize? What should I sell? What, what new spiritual discipline? What should I read? Give me some books to read. Give me... A, a conference to go to. What should I do? Strive with me together in your prayers. Our mightiest battles are fought in a silent, kneeling position. Our mightiest battles are fought in a silent, kneeling position. And how vainly we strive on our feet when we have failed to strive on our knees. How many exhausting failures have you experienced because of prayerlessness? In your family, in your own Christian walk, us as a church, how many strenuous attempts at this or that have ended in just exhaustion and discouragement and failure? 
because we failed to strive in prayer before we started to strive in life. Now know that I'm not coming to you condemning you as some truly great prayer warrior. This is an area that God has been hammering away at me for months now. I do feel that I'm progressing, and that's what Christianity is about. It's not about being perfect, it's about becoming perfect. Uh, I do feel that I'm progressing. I hope that we as a church are progressing. So why don't we strive in prayer? What, what keeps us from it? I have one theory that has to do with this passage. Um, I think that we fail in prayer because we think that it's supposed to be easy. What could be easier than just talking to God? I'm talking to you right now. I'm not sweating or anything. What could be easier? You don't have to buy anything. You don't need a a fancy study Bible. You don't need uh, anything. You don't need any particular building or any place. You can pray anywhere, anytime, all the time, in your car, in your shower. So that makes it seem as though it should be easy. And then when we start trying to be prayerful Christians, for some reason it's slippery and we can't get a hold of it. Well, I think we just have the wrong mindset in general. Prayer isn't easy. It's striving sort of work. It's like, those, it's like trying to exercise. Don't expect it to come easy. Just let go of that misconception. Just let it go. Just let it fly away. It's striving. Think about Jesus before he picked his disciples. He stayed up all night long agonizing in prayer over who to select to be his disciples. Think about Jesus in the garden before his crucifixion. His prayer led to sweat, and so much sweat that it began to be blood instead of sweat. That's agonizing, that's striving, that's hard work. That's not something that just naturally pops out of your heart while you're doing a bunch of fun things. That's deciding to devote yourself to prayer. Think about the, in Acts chapter 2 when they're all praying in the upper room. You know, that's when things really get started in the early church, is when they're all praying together, when they're striving together in prayer. That's when they're in an upper room and they're praying. I don't know what it sounded like. I don't know if it was, you know, when we pray in my office before Sunday mornings, we're very, uh, kind of like me, just there's an order to it. You know, Richard usually sits at the beginning of the, the half circle and he begins and it goes around in kind of an order and I end and I don't know if it was like that, if there was any order to it, or if it was just what they call popcorn prayers, where whoever felt inclined to pray out loud did. I don't know if it was sort of a silence, and everybody was praying on their own. I have no idea. But there were ordinary folks praying, and all of a sudden, all the windows burst in, and something like a wind blew in, and they looked at each other, and it looked like everybody's head was on fire. And everybody started speaking in languages that they didn't know, the Holy Spirit came in and it just, everything just went crazy and they experienced supernatural power unlike anything they'd ever seen. And what were they doing when it happened? They were striving together in prayer. And we wonder, 
or I wonder, why don't we experience supernatural power like they did? I have so many great desires for myself and my family and us as a church. I mean, I'm sometimes tossing and turning all night thinking about church, which is you folks. Much of that is prayer. Much of that's just, you know, the confused, worried thoughts of a very tired guy. I want so badly for those of us who are just blatantly sinning to be convicted deeply of that sin and be freed from it. I want so badly for husbands and wives to whatever the obstructions are between them, for those things to be just destroyed and for them to be able to love each other in that gospel sort of way, that selfless kind of way. I want so badly for our young people to to uh, break up through that crust of adolescence and and see who they are and what they're about in Christ and to get momentum and to have an impact in their schools with the gospel. I want so badly for those I know that are suffering emotionally to be freed from it and to become joyful, vibrant Christians. I, I want more than all that, I want the gospel to have its work in our hearts so that we then get out there and really make disciples. And as you know, what I want is for me to make disciples, to have a couple of guys that I'm discipling. What I want is for you to make disciples, to have some people that you're pouring into. I want all this so bad. And, you know, we can scheme and and make plans and formulate programs and organize committees and um, we can do all sorts of things, but the real striving for those things is in prayer. So why don't we experience supernatural things like all that I just described and like they did in the early church? Probably because we don't pray like they did. And why don't we pray like they did? Probably because we don't feel like we need to. I mean, why would we pray? What would we have to pray about? We have all the answers we need. I don't even have my phone on me. I was going in our iPhones, pretend that this is one. And if it's not answers we're looking for, if it's comfort, we have all the distraction from our discomfort right here in our pockets on our tablets and our phones and whatever. You know, these folks, they did not have healthy churches to go look at and model themselves after. They did not have Lifeway Christian bookstores to go to and, and read good books to get advice. They did not have the internet. Can you imagine life without the internet? How do they even know how to get up and put their pants on without the internet? They couldn't do research. They didn't have, you know, support groups. They didn't have much of anything. What they had was desperate dependence on God in prayer. And that was it. And the dangers they faced were much greater than the dangers we face. I mean, really, the main danger that we face as a church is low attendance. You know, they were likely to be killed in a very bloody way. If all we're shooting for is a boost in attendance, uh, a little infusion of some enthusiasm for for church stuff, who needs prayer for that? We'll send out some flyers or something. You know, when we're not facing any real great danger and when we're not attempting any real great kingdom tasks, we don't need prayer. 
I think our position is in many ways much more dangerous than theirs because we don't often even realize how desperately we depend on God. We have so many false little lowercase g gods that we can depend on. As Christians, we were, we were meant for the dangerous callings of the kingdom. You know, there's no danger or valor in attendance. Nobody ever got killed for attendance. You don't need to pray up to attend something. But if you're going to go out there and charge the gates of hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're going to see your family and your community and your schools and your workplaces and your friends as your mission field, you're going to need to pray. You're going to need to strive and agonize in prayer because that's beyond us. Those are things we can't accomplish. It's a, it's a poor and pathetic Christianity that knows no great striving, that knows no great praying, that knows no great dangers, that knows no great spiritual accomplishments for the kingdom. It's a bland, boring, tedious knockoff of the real thing. So the appeal to us is to strive together in our prayers, together. It's like trying to open a door that is heavy. You know, one person might be able to inch it open a little bit. Two people can inch it open twice as much. Four people, twice as much more. Eight people, 16 people. And through that doorway pours God's blessings, like the early church in Acts chapter 2. I'm taking a church history class right now, and one of these ancient church fathers said, as he commented on this passage, when many ordinary people come together and agree, they become great. So we are not really that great as individuals. There's nothing really that special about me or you, in a sense. That sounds mean. I'm not trying to be mean. But when we all come together, with one mind and one heart and we agree and we all come together striving together in prayer who knows what supernatural blessings God may pour out into us through us now that doesn't necessarily mean us all physically being together praying together Paul was nowhere near these Christians that he was asking to strive together with him in prayer We can strive together with each other in prayer all day, every day, even if we don't see each other all week. The result Paul was looking for was that he may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea because he was like a Muslim who had converted to Christianity going back to his family. This was a big deal. This was dangerous. So he's praying for safety. He wanted them to strive together with him in prayer for his safety and that his service for Jerusalem would be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will, he could come to them, the Roman Christians, with joy and be refreshed in their company. So he wanted safety. He was hoping for success in his ministry endeavor. And he wanted to just to get through that well so that he could come and be refreshed in the company of his brothers and sisters in Roman church. That refreshment of being together is what 
the gathering of the church is supposed to feel like. It's supposed to feel like a bunch of special operatives coming back to home base. Bandaging each other's wounds, comparing scars, grateful just for their lives. Sharing that camaraderie of being in the battle together. That's what we want to see happen. When we come together, it can be, it should be, a group of Christians who have the Holy Spirit, who have been wrestling and striving all week long to follow and trust in Jesus Christ, dealing with the the matters of everyday life. It, It can be that sort of group of Christians coming together and experiencing the the camaraderie of true Christian fellowship. And it it would be refreshing and joyful, and we would be longing for it. It would be every week this on our calendar, this getting back to home base. Made it through another week. How did it go for you? How how was your brother that we've been praying for? Did you get to talk to him about Jesus this week? Uh, Those sorts of conversations. Now, instead... Often in the American church, what it's like is a bunch of people coming together for a, for a disappointing production. Instead of bloodied from battled, from bloodied from battle, sweat-drenched Christians coming together, rejoicing in the truth of the gospel and, and taking heart together with co-combatants, fighting the good fight it can become a bunch of folks sitting through a disappointing production. And, and the car ride home, instead of feeling so refreshed, can instead be full of clever critiques. Like, like we're movie critics coming home from a film. May we strive together. Let's strive together. I will strive with you. This passage has been doing its work in my heart. You're hearing it now for the first time, and I pray that it will do its work in your hearts. Will you strive together with me in your prayers? May we be mighty men and women of Christian agony together. May we be mighty men and women of prayer. May we do it together. And as he finishes, I'll finish. And may the God of peace be with us all. Amen.